Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible and turn uh, to kind of the midpoint of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 25. We are walking through this very first book in the Bible. We're halfway through here, uh, Genesis chapter 25. And while you get there and get settled with God's Word in front of you, let me just say this. Uh, God has a way of using very broken people in very beautiful ways. God has a way of using very broken people in very beautiful ways. And guess what? That's good news for all of us in this room, isn't it? Um, we uh, are beginning part three of this study through the book of Genesis. And really, part three just follows the life of this man named Jacob. Now, we got to know, Jacob has a very complicated story. Uh, we love to watch movies and read books where, um, you know, we're introduced to the characters and then there's a time of conflict and then the hero overcomes and then everything is just kind of like buttoned up at the end and all of the flaws are, are, are gone and all the, Jacob's story's not that. In fact, there's, a, there's, there's varying degrees of complexity with a story all the way through. Just when we think that he's overcome some of his sin and some of his, his, his tendencies, like we're going to see him do it all over again. We're going to see him revert back to things that we thought he had moved past. And it's so easy to study the life of Jacob and go, dude, get what, how are you not getting this? Why do you keep doing the things that you shouldn't do? Why do you keep reverting back to these old patterns that we thought the Lord had dealt with you in? And it's in the midst of those frustrations of studying the life of Jacob that God graciously just sets the mirror right in front of us, right? And we see our own story and the complicated story that is Jacob's. And so part three, we follow the life of Jacob. But if you're, if you're in the room for the first time or you haven't been here for a while and you're like, oh, grab the coat, we missed part one and two, we're out of here. No, let me catch you up on the first two parts of this series, the first half of the book of Genesis. I'm gonna try to do it in 90 seconds. Think I can do it? I'm a preacher, you know I can't, okay? Uh, Genesis uh, starts where it needs to start, with creation. The reason the book of Genesis is an important study, and you've heard me say this again and again and again, is it sets the origins. It answers life's biggest questions. Why are we here? Where did we come from? Who made this? Whose is this? And we said from the very beginning that this is God's world, we're just living in it. And if it's God's world, then we're to follow uh, God's ways. And that we exist as people to see his image spread across the globe. If you walked into church this morning and you're wrestling with the deep questions of life, you exist this morning to know God in a personal relationship by faith in Jesus Christ, to let the work of Christ work in your life so you are increasingly growing every day to look more like Jesus and then to help see uh, this good news gospel message that Jesus has come to save sinners um, transform a globe that's why we're here that's why we're at church we're not just at church this morning going through the religious ritual routines we're at church because we want to see more of Jesus formed in us and more of Jesus reaching the worlds to the outermost amen I've already killed my 90 second hopes okay but that's why we're here. God made us, we are his. And, and then three chapters into the Bible, we're introduced to sin. And sin uh, plagues us at the very heart level. Uh, sin uh, reaches down into the very roots of our heart and begins to taint everything. 
And so you see uh, sin have its way. Wickedness prevails across the globe and uh, God judges with a global flood but, but in the midst of this judgment, his redemption, he, 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 he saves one family, Noah and his family and, and at the end of the flood, they walk out of the boat and we think, awesome, a recreation. There's this beautiful rainbow moment and, and now all's gonna be right but before we know it, uh, Noah's right back into sin and sin prevails again and then there's this scene at the Tower of Babel in which the Lord says, oh my goodness, What are these people capable of if they all speak the same language and they're all in one place and the wickedness in their heart, what could they accomplish? And the Lord scatters the people across the face of the globe. And then it led us to part two because remember, God is after setting setting apart a people for himself. And he calls a man named Abraham and he says, I want you to leave everything you know and I want you to go to a place that you don't know. And Abraham, here's what I'm gonna do. You're gonna rise to become a nation and I'm gonna give you a promised land. And Abraham obeys and we see God make this covenant with him. We see this sign of the covenant of circumcision introduced. We see this son of the covenant named Isaac who is born. And last week we watched as God united Isaac's life with his wife, Rebecca, and this family is growing and this family will become a nation. Isaac and Rebecca are gonna have twins. We're gonna see it here today. And we're gonna look at some of the early interactions of the life of one of these twins named Jacob. And so I want us to see three scenes today. Really, all of today's message uh, surrounds these three scenes. So what I'm calling the birth, the birthright, and the blessing. Scene one, the birth. Scene two, the birthright. Scene three, the blessing. And what we're gonna see here is the interaction of these twins, Jacob and Esau. And if you thought you had some dysfunctional sibling rivalry growing up, you don't hold a candle to what they got going on here. So let me pray, and then let's get in God's word. Father, help us now. We're here to submit ourselves under the authority of your word, and we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit now to take your living and active word and apply it to our heart in a way that we walk out changed, that we walk out encouraged, rebuked, convicted, instructed in whatever way you see fit to do. So God, we ask for your help in this right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at scene one here. Genesis chapter 25. I'm picking it up in verse 19. Uh, Early on in Genesis 25, we see Abraham has now died. He's been laid to rest with his wife, Sarah. Uh, He died at 175 years old. And uh, we're gonna be told that Isaac and Rebekah are going to have some kids here. Verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Pedan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Look at what it says in verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. I just want to call a time out right there, and I want us to look at that verse again. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for, uh, to the Lord for his wife. Why? because she was barren, she couldn't have children. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. That's amazing. And when we read the Bible, it's so easy to just read a verse like that, to read a line like that, and to just keep reading. But I want us to see, you had a woman who could not bear children. You have a husband pleading and interceding, and you have a powerful God who lets a barren woman conceive. That's amazing. 
What we have in one little line of the Bible is one mighty powerful act of God. And it reminded me this week as I just read verse 21 that we are only ever one little prayer line away from watching God do a mighty work. Fired me up? Didn't fire you all as much as I hoped. (laughs) We are only ever one little prayer line away from watching our God do a mighty work. Your marriage is erect, you're one little prayer line away. Your kids wayward, you're one little prayer line away. And you're like, yeah, but pastor, come on, it's more complicated than that. No, 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 it all starts with that one little prayer line that, that allows us to watch our God do a one mighty great act. Verse 22, the children struggled together within her and she said, what is going on? She said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her. Now, just understand what's going on. The Lord grants the prayer. The children struggle within her, and she's going, God, what is going on? Why is this pregnancy so difficult? And now what the Lord is about to say about these twins in her womb is the prophetic banner over all that we will see play out in the lives of Jacob and Esau. Look at what God says to her. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Think about this now. Rebecca's like, what is going on? Why are these twins at war inside of me? And the Lord says, you have two nations inside of you. They will be divided. Uh, One will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And this is exactly how the lives of these twins play out. Now, I want us to see something at a high level before we go on. Remember, God is setting apart a family for himself. He's setting apart a family that's gonna grow to become a nation. And so Abraham is born. He has sons, Ishmael and Isaac. The Lord is preserving his line through Isaac. You now have twins. You have Esau and Jacob. The Lord is preserving this line of the nation that's to be holy and set apart to him through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through who we call in the Bible the patriarchs. And so God makes this prophetic statement over these twins. Look at what it says, verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Now, if you have a footnote in your Bible, you can look down at the bottom. Jacob means he takes by the heel or he cheats. And so you already, from, from, from the very beginning, Esau, Jacob, they're warring in the womb. As, as they're born, uh, Esau comes out as born first. Jacob's like, oh, no, you're not. He's got him by the foot. As they come out, you can see the warring happening already. And now, uh, this next little paragraph lets us into even more of this dysfunction and division that we see over these twins. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This has dysfunction written all over it, right? 
Nearly every place you see the Bible talk about Esau and Jacob together, it's always setting them over and against each other. It's always juxtaposing them. And even here, and what we learn about the early life, Esau, he's a hunter. He's a man of the field. Jacob, he's quiet. He likes to stay around the house. Isaac loves Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. The division is playing out practically right in their own home. These two could not be more different, and you're seeing the allegiances of the family drive that division even deeper. Now, before I move on from here, I think one of the most amazing um, finds of biblical archaeology is uh, um, archaeologists have actually unco- uncovered early depictions of Esau and Jacob. I want to show you a picture of these early depictions of who they were. But kind of get this in your head. They're vastly, vastly different people. Verse 29. Once, okay, we're moving to scene two. So that was scene one, birth. You can see the division from the beginning. Scene two, birthright. Scene two, the birthright. What's up with this? Pick it up, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field And he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Now, just hold on before you read on. So you picture this here. Uh, Esau's been out hunting. He's worn out. He walks in. Jacob's making a great stew. It's smelling good. And uh, Esau comes through the door and he's like, Jacob, I'm exhausted, man. Give me some stew. Jacob's response here, verse 31. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. What? What kind of trade is that? A bowl of stew for your birthright. Now, now I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that, that that statement, that question that Jacob asked, that statement he makes, sell me your birthright, that's probably lost in translation a bit for us and you know, thousands of years later in a way different culture. My guess is your family isn't operating under some formal birthright covenant thing. And so what is this, what, what's Jacob really asking for here? Derek Kidner, biblical scholar, great work on Genesis. He says, the birthright was the status of the firstborn. We kind of get that. It means the headship of the family, and in later Israel, at least, a double share of the estate. Bull of stew, double share of the estate. Who's going to make that trade? Esau will. Esau said, I'm about to die. Really? And a bowl of stew is going to fix this? I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. The book of Hebrews gives commentary on this passage. It says, Esau despised his birthright for a meal. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All of us right now should be feeling the absurdity of this trade. Who in their right mind would trade a birthright and its long-term blessings 
for stew and its short-term satisfaction. Who in their right mind does this? Birthright? Double estate? Headship of the family? For a bowl of stew you'll eat in five minutes? Settle a rumbling tummy and then you'll be hungry again. This is absurd. This is crazy. Who does something like this? Let, let's take out birthright and stew and ask the question this way. Who in their right mind would trade long-term blessings for short-term satisfaction? You're like, oh, I think my husband does that. <laughs> we all do that, right? Anytime we're led by sin or led by foolishness, we're making a trade. We're trading in some way some semblance of long-term blessing for short-term satisfaction. Let's start easy. Let's get to harder as I go through. Think about the dumbest impulse buy you ever made. Couldn't sleep. You're up at 1 a.m. watching infomercials and you're like, I have to have that. You're making a trade. Some immediate satisfaction for something your hands can grab for, 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 to forfeit some semblance of long-term financial health. Think about when dishonesty wins out in your life and you feel backed into a corner at work or at school or uh, amongst your family and, 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 and you feel like everyone's coming at you and you did something wrong and instead of just owning it, and confessing it and saying, here's what happened. You, you lie, you get unethical, you try to weasel your way out of it, and you might get out of it for a time. And you might feel some immediate sense of, oh, now no one's on my back. But what have you done? You forfeited some long-term blessing that comes from a life of honesty and integrity. Think about the way it works with revenge. Someone said something, did something, someone undercut you in a business deal, someone whatever, and like you are like dreaming about the next time you see them. And you've been rehearsing in your mind exactly what you're gonna say like you're giving some speech again in 10th grade. And you're like, I'm going after them and you get the opportunity and you unleash and you unload and you seek your revenge and you feel way better for this long. And then you forfeited the peace that comes of just long-term blessing of just trusting the Lord and that vengeance is his. Think about the way this works with sexual sin. The choice of short-term satisfaction that forfeits in some way the blessing of long-term sexual integrity. Where are you prone to trade long-term blessings for short-term satisfaction? And now listen, 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 listen. All of us in this room are guilty of it. What do we do when we've been living like this? What do you do when you can look at last week and go, ah. Oh. Well, the good news for us is we have an awesomely gracious God who is constantly inviting people to himself who have a pattern of trading long-term blessing for short-term satisfaction. And God's invitation to us is that we would repent of it that we would turn from it, that we would turn away from uh, patterns of sin in our life that are always about the short-term satisfaction, 
and we would turn to him and find the long-term blessing that comes from just obediently walking with him. If you find yourself there, if you can think of an instance from the last week, if you could look at a pattern, what do you do today? You repent. You come to him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for that. And help me turn from that. And help me this week not settle for short-term satisfaction when you have offered me long-term blessing. But we see Esau despise his birthright. And now we go, okay, but like these, they're just words, right? This is two brothers growing up, bickering back and forth a bit. Like certainly there's not going to be long-term consequences from this interaction over a bowl of stew. Uh, flip to chapter 27. Flip to chapter 27. We're now to scene three, the blessing. When Isaac was old, so remember Isaac's their dad. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat. And then look at this next phrase, that my soul may bless you before I die. Okay, so just stop right there and understand something. Uh, This is uh, an aging dad on his deathbed, near his deathbed. And he goes to his oldest son who the scriptures already told us he loves Esau and he loves when he shoots a deer, kills it and prepares it for him. And he says, go out, hunt something, prepare it, bring it back. But this is more than just a meal between a dad and a son. This is a really special meal. This is a ceremonial meal. This is a dad knowing that he's close to death, about to bestow his blessing on his firstborn. Now, Rebecca was listening, verse 5, when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, this is now Rebekah talking to Jacob. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I love that. Look at his initial response. Uh, behold, Esau's hairy. And I'm smooth. This is literally what Jacob says first. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me. What a statement. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. I just want to stop and make note of something. It's a bit bit of an aside here, but I think it's important. Uh, Throughout Jacob's life, we're going to watch him scheme and con and do his thing in a number of different ways. And as we watch him, the kind of the schemer in him, the deceiver in him, the con man in him, it's going to be easy to go like, what? Like, where did this all come from? And then you see the interaction like this and you go, man, maybe Jacob didn't have to look too far here. Look at this con job Rebecca's setting up. And look at how it can lead and instruct Jacob for a lifetime to come. And I was reading that this week going, 
Sometimes it's easy as parents to look into your kids, especially as they grow, and go, oh, that's ugly. Where in the world did you learn that? And then the Lord, like, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just kind of, like, brings a mirror down in front of your face, and he's like, and you're like, maybe he learned it from me. And you see mom here creating a way, creating a path for Jacob. But now you might go, you might have pushed back on what I'm saying. You might go, no, but didn't God say, didn't God speak a prophetic word over them that like, this is what would happen. He would get the blessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But listen, when God promises his blessing, guess what? We don't have to con and scheme and deceive our way to it. We can just wait and trust and worship and let God bring it. This is Rebecca taking matters in. She had the promise. The Lord already spoke it to her before the twins were even born. This, I'm arguing, this is her scheming, conning, taking it into her own hands instead of waiting, trusting, and worshiping the Lord and letting him bring it about in his time. And the con job to embezzle a blessing goes forth. Verse 14, so he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were, uh, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So picture Jacob now. He's like got food. He's got all the like goat hair covering him because remember Esau's hairy. He's not. He's walking in to present this to his dad, verse 18. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Uh, I, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me, now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac's dad instincts here, something's not computing right. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And Jacob said, uh-oh. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felled him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize them because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, and here's the blessing of the father that uh, culturally speaking was to go to the firstborn. But in God's sovereignty, even in the midst of the deception, goes to the secondborn. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau's, Esau's brother came in from his hunting. So just picture this, right? Meal, blessing. Jacob heads out of the room. Jacob turns this way. Esau comes in. He's got the food. He's just killed something. He's ready to have the ceremonial meal with his dad. He walks in the door, and look at what happens here. 
Verse 31, he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it before you, became, before you came and I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he, was, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I've made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for his servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your, your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? The Lord said to Rebekah, inside of you are two nations. One will be stronger than the other. They will be divided. The older will serve the younger. And now what you see here is Esau's carnal instinct has led to the robbery of all the blessing. Jacob's deceiving, scheming spirit has made the way for it. And you now have Jacob on the run moving forward like a fugitive for the embezzlement of his brother's blessing. What are the two takeaways today? Next week, we'll continue in the study of Jacob's life. What are two takeaways for today? The first is this. This week, don't trade long-term blessings for short-term satisfaction. Let me, just, let me just speak a prophetic word over all of us. This week, you will have an opportunity to trade long-term blessing for some short-term satisfaction. Don't do it. And I know what you're thinking. It's easy to say, okay, I won't, while we're sitting in church on Sunday, isn't it? It can be a lot more difficult 
when the temptation stakes are so much higher in the trenches of life. May God surround you with his word this week. May God fuel you through the power of prayer. May God uh, surround you with the community of believers and so that we can build lives built on the integrity that comes from walking with Jesus and not trading long-term blessings for short-term satisfaction. The second takeaway is a little more abstract and I'll trust the Holy Spirit to apply it to us as he sees fit. In Christ, every blessing is already yours. Do you believe that, church? Give me some sort of feedback if you do. In Christ, every blessing is already yours. You have no reason to con, scheme, or sin your way to blessing. You can't con, scheme, and sin your way to blessing. There is no unethical shortcut to blessing. There is no con you can come up with. There is no scheme you can create. In Christ, know it, believer. Every blessing is already yours. You have no reason to con, scheme, or sin. Just wait, trust, and worship. I'll trust the Holy Spirit to apply that as he sees fit. Church, if you would stand with me, let me send, just speak a blessing over us and send us out of here today. Um, as you leave, if you'll, uh, don't forget to stop by that table. Write a note of encouragement to Pastor Corey and Bree for their work with our student ministry. Second thing, um, I jumped over chapter 26 today because we've left chapter 26 for a a study for you all. And so if you would, go to our website. If you're in a small group, you'll be walking through this this week in your small group. If you're not in a small group, here's where you can get that study on chapter 26. Go to our website, go to our small groups page. Go to the sermon application guide button and you will see a study for you to do with your group, with your family, by yourself this week on Genesis chapter 26. I pray it would be a blessing to you. Uh, Church, go in peace and do not, whatever comes this week, do not trade the long-term blessing of following Jesus for some short-term satisfaction. You are loved, you are sent. We'll see you next Sunday.